This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. There are many different reasons people can't sleep. One of the biggest ones out there is stress. People, if they're stressed out, if you can get a good night's sleep and you're stressed out, it makes your stress a lot more easier to deal with. But sometimes it's like a cycle. It breeds upon itself. If you can't sleep, it makes your stress worse. And then it builds even more. So this is why sleep is so important for a lot of people. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to manage stress and sleep better over the holidays. We'll hear about simple solutions to detox your home. We'll find out the best holiday books for home cooks. And lastly, we'll discuss mindful conflict resolution. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian owned and has been GMP certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Holidays are approaching, Gordon. How are you? Hey, great, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again. And I know that you want to help people with their inevitable stress and lack of sleep so they can enjoy their time with friends and family in the coming season, right? Definitely. I'd love to say help. But sometimes, you know, there are many different reasons people can't sleep. Right. Right. And as you pointed out, one of the biggest ones out there is stress. And it's interesting that people, if they're stressed out, if you can get a good night's sleep and you're stressed out, it makes your stress a lot more easier to deal with. But it's, sometimes it's like a cycle. It's a, like a, it breeds upon itself. If you can't sleep, it makes your stress worse. And so on. And then it builds even more. So this is why sleep is so important for a lot of people. And there's two issues to sleep, right? Well, there's many issues to sleep, but the key ones for most people is number one, getting to sleep. But then there's the issue of staying asleep because I'm very able to get to sleep, but I have a dog who sleeps on my bed and she nestles up right against me and I find myself waking up in the middle of the night. And once I'm up, uh, I find it sometimes difficult to stay asleep or in bed. Are you finding that's the way with a lot of people? Definitely. And my one advice to you, put the dog on the floor. I know. He'll but I love my dog. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm a softie. You wouldn't think so, but I am. 
So how are you going to help us with sleep, Gordon? What do you think? I'm going to approach the sleep issue from two aspects. One is from the stress point of view, and the other one is from the central nervous system point of view. Okay. Okay. Let's start off with the central nervous system point of view because it's, it's probably one of the easiest ones to tackle at this point. When I say the central nervous system, one of the things is that in order for people to fall asleep, there are certain things that happen in the brain. And the pharmaceutical industry is very good at the affecting the brain side of things to make you fall asleep, like anesthetics are one of those things. You know, usually things like your benzodiazepines, etc. All those are drugs that people have used to fall asleep. One of the biggest problems with using those type of things is that the kind of sleep you get sometimes is shallow sleep, so you don't get the deep restful sleep. Right. right? And the deep restful sleep is where our body sort of regenerates, right? That's right. And that's the kind of sleep you need to get to, to fight over the effects of stress. This is why a lot of people, when they get the shallow sleep, what happens is that they wake up feeling groggy as if they haven't rested at all, even though they did fall asleep, right? They didn't get down to that deep level of sleep. Now, one of the things I would, there's several herbs that people have used to help them get to sleep, right? I mean, people have heard of things like valerian. Yes. They have heard of things like St. John's Wort. But there's a couple of Chinese herbs, too, that people don't really probably have not heard about that I find is very effective, right? There are things like the jujube, the fruit, right? That is one of the most potent ones that I've seen around, right? There's something called biota. Orientalis, which is another Chinese herb that has been very effective at helping people fall asleep, to get to that sleep. Now, even though you get to the sleep, you need to be able to stay asleep because sometimes, like yourself, your dog wakes you up in the middle of the night, then you can't go back to sleep. Right. Well, again, some of these herbs actually help you go back to sleep and fall asleep again. So some of these things are good for that, right? But it's like anything else, the amount you need to take, it really is a function of your own biochemistry, right? The nice thing about using herbs for some of these things is that even though it'll put you to sleep, even if you take too much, you're not going to be um, having major side effects, etc. where you're walking around all day dopey, right? Okay. So, but at some point, you figure out how much you need to use, right? And also, there's timing. Now, one of the things that we also like to talk about for, for falling asleep is that sometimes your brain is overactive. Right. You, know, you ever had those days where you're thinking about what's going on in the office or you're thinking about what, what you need to do the next day? It's like a hamster on a wheel. You just keep running around and around and, around and you can't quiet the brain long enough to fall asleep. We had a sleep specialist on who was mentioning that also physiologically your brain operates differently in the middle of the night. So you wake up with these concerns or panics or things that are preying on your mind. It's actually the worst time to think about it because your brain is not able to process solutions in the same way at that time. So it almost exacerbates the problem. That's true. Where things get much worse because you're thinking about them at the wrong time of day. That's right. Now, I've known there's some people who have a few tricks to handle that, right? Some yeah. Of them, before they go fully asleep, they sit up, they write it all out, right? So it gives it some sort of closure, even though you really haven't solved anything, but the, the process of writing it down gives your mind that peace so you can settle down and go to sleep, all right? Yeah. But I know there's things like Kava Kava, which is well known, and even St. John's Wort. Those things tend to quiet down the mind that some people are actually able to fall asleep with that because I know even with some people writing it out and and all the other cognitive um, exercises that they do it doesn't work for them some people have to you know literally count sheep Uh, my mother does this thing where she comes up with first names 
that with with certain letters she tries to see how many like b names she can come up with mm-hmm. i play poker hands in my head ga- hands that i've won or lost in las vegas or in my my usual game everybody has their own little trick but y- you know they do work right and and even if you don't have your own trick you might even want to try mindfulness you know there are apps out there and then there are machines that will create ambient noise to sort of let your mind drift away. There's all sorts of things you can There's do. Also, yeah. And one of the, my favorite ones I tell everybody, exercise. Yeah, right? that's a biggie. And I tell them, though, the one thing about exercise, don't exercise just before you fall asleep. I was just right? going to make that point. There are some people who want to exercise late at night. And sometimes all that does is rev you up to the point where you can't fall asleep because your body has too many things flowing around with it, right? Yeah, a lot of hockey players, because that's when they can get the rinks. You know, they'll play late at night. I used to play basketball at night until I realized it took me a good two and a half hours after the game just to get to a level where I could think about going to sleep, let alone falling asleep. That's correct, right? But then this is a nice way to segue into the stress component of of falling asleep because one of the things with the stress component is that we call it stress, I mean, but as I've always said about stress, if you're living, you're stressed, right? Part of living is stress, but it's the kind of stress that you have and can you control the kind of stress that you have? Because sometimes, in all fairness, you are in a position where you've been bombarded day in, day out at work, so the stress level just builds. Right. Yes. And this is where the mindfulness component comes in. Take a breather. Just take a few deep breaths and help settle your system, I call it, right? Yes. But that's one of the things. But there are other herbs that people have used in the past to, to help control that. There are things like ginseng is well known to help and control stress, right? Ashwagandha, right? Astragalus. These are some of the herbs that people have used to help control the effects of stress. All right. What that will do is that it gives you more energy to try to accomplish a task. If you add exercise into that component, that will add is that it gets the exercise component helps get rid of some of the chemicals right, that your body produces because of stress. It helps uh, suppressing the cortisol, is that right? Well, no, that too, but it also helps you detoxify the system. I agree. Right, because that sweating process, that sweat, any chemicals that you have that's floating around because of the cortisols and so on, can be expressed through the sweat. So it helps get rid of some of those things, right? My experience is, I mean, all forms of exercise are good, right? Like if you're the type of person who doesn't really want it, for whatever reason you can't overexert yourself, Going for a walk is great, but to attain levels where you're going to get mood change or where it's, it's going to impact uh, sort of stress levels, you actually have to exert yourself. It, it can't just be a walk. You're, you're going to have to lift weights, run, row, something something that gets your heart rate up and, as you say, sweat. No, not necessarily. Not That's necessarily my experience. A hundred percent, because what you need, if you're going to do low impact, you can do longer. Okay. Right, no, no, you can do low impact, but like, but for example, if you're going for a walk, it's not the same as you're not going to get that mood change, like almost like the runner's high by going for a walk. You're just not. Like, I mean, it'll be good for you, and you'll feel good. Yeah, but but it's not the same thing. You won't get the runner's high. I agree, but when you do that long walk, right, you get a chance to meditate. You for get sure, a chance to realize, contemplate what's going on in life, and those are some of the things that you you want to make on a physiological level 
in the mind space, your mindfulness. Okay, okay? for sure. So yep. those are some of the things that we can do. Now, there are people who are much better qualified to talk about that than I, all right? But these are some of the ideas that I just want to bring to the forefront. Right. Then there's the other things that people should be thinking about, simple as B vitamins, right? Yes. B vitamins are usually called the stress vitamins. And the reason they're called the stress vitamins is because many of those B vitamins that we take, for example, B1, B2, niacinamide, B5, B6, etc., folic acid, all of those things, they contribute to the manuf- they're cofactors in the manufacturing of energy molecules for the body. One of the energy molecules I'll talk about is ATP. It helps in the manufacture of ATP. So an ATP is ubiquitous in the body. It's used for almost everything, right? So, and one of the things is that people who are stressed out usually say, I'm tired, I have no energy. Well, what this does is, is to generate more ATP, you increase your energy levels. That's why it's known as a stress vitamin, right? One of the things I would like to point out is that there's no one solution for everything. Yes. All of these, yep. right? Sometimes you're stressed out, you can't sleep, so you need to take the things that help fight the effects of stress. So you exercise, your herbs like the ginseng, the ashwagandha, and then at night, you still need to maybe take the valerian and take the jujube, right? Those things will help you sleep. And when, when it helps you sleep, as I say, you will be a new person when it comes up the next day. Yes. Right? Now, one of the other things that I, I, I want to talk a little bit about is about the importance of things like vitamin D. Right? Yes. Vitamin D is one of those vitamins that's been getting out there that a lot of people have been talking about. It's important in a whole bunch of different things. Again, vitamin D is one of those things that's important for stress. Vitamin D normally your body can make, if, except that if you're in the wintertime, right, you're all covered up. You're not getting as much vitamin D when you go for your walk. Right. It's exposure to sun that helps the body make it natural, right? right? So, and since you can't get it if you're all covered up, you have to take it, you have to supplement with it. So it's, it's a good idea to get some vitamin D into your system. Right, right. And, and this helps with uh, seasonal affective disorder, right? Definitely. And again, seasonal affective disorder for some people is a source of stress. Yes, for sure. Right? So there's so many different things that we can actually do to help sleep better at night. And one of the best ones, as I've always, that I would all like to point out is exercise. I can't stress the benefit of exercise enough. You and me both. I know I, you've told me a bit about what you do, and I think the listeners are probably sick of hearing what I do. And, and I think the short message is it doesn't really matter as long as you're consistent and and that you know, you're trying to do something every day, even if it isn't a full workout, even if it's just a walk or climbing some flights of stairs. But sitting is probably one of the worst things that you can do for your psyche and your body. So getting up and doing something is just good. It's interesting you said that there there were some studies that, that showed that, you know, even though what they showed that there were there were people who if you set your clock every hour on the hour to take like a two minute break just doing some push ups, et cetera. Yep. Even though you don't break out into a sweat, right, at the end of the day your fitness levels are a lot higher than if you were just sedentary doing nothing. It it, it makes a huge difference. I mean I have a dog um, my lovely dog who keeps me up at night is also the dog that gets me walking three times a day so that I, I get up from in front of my desk. And that's crucial. 
you know, even just to go get her some water or make sure that she gets outside uh, to do her, her business uh, means I'm not sitting at my desk. My wife got a standing desk so that she can adjust it So because she's also in front of the desk the whole day. And just standing up for time can be helpful to your health. Yeah. One of the other things that we should talk a little bit or just about touch on it is that the holidays are coming up and everybody's going to be running around like crazy, going from point A to point B yep. to the point where they're so busy, their life is so busy, right? They are going to be stressed out alone. So again, take home message for the holidays, relax, take it easy. It's why it's called a holiday. Even though we might be stressed, just relax and take a breather. Exactly. It's a perfect time to go walk in nature. It's a perfect time to spend time with family, which, you know, for some people that can raise their stress levels. But, you know, if, if you can enjoy the people around you, that's probably a good way to get a good night's sleep and, and, and enjoy the rest of your life. Sure. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to hear back from you next month, right? Definitely. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to detox your home on The Tonic. Now that summer has given way to the 9 to 5 grind, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario have created delicious breakfast recipes for seven days of eggs, showing Canadians how to shake up their workweek breakfasts. With seven different sauces, it's easy to spice up a scramble or heighten the flavor of a ho-hum sandwich for different eggs every day of the week. To get you started, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario are giving away five prizes of $1,000 in groceries. Visit tabascosauce.ca for contest details and to find quick, delicious, and nutritious breakfast recipes, including some that are perfect for meal prepping for even the busiest of mornings. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their clients' mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at vitaldirectives.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Hey, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So in many of our interviews previously, we focused on the health of your patients and the listeners. Today, we're going to discuss something a little bit different, and that is the health of their home environments, right? Absolutely. Yes. So where would you like to start? Where do you want to start off? Well, I think the big thing that people don't maybe realize is is cleaning the house. You know, a lot of people want to have a clean house. I, for one, love it, love having a clean house. But sometimes we don't realize that what we're cleaning our house with and wanting to get rid of the bacteria or the mold or the viruses that could be around our home, we're actually doing more harm than good because we're using toxic substances. 
And there's more chemicals than ever on the market now to, you know, as in beauty products, but also for home cleaning products that are not necessarily good. Right. So how do you want to approach this? Do you want to approach this from what sort of ingredients we should be avoiding or what sort of products we should be avoiding? Well, we can do a little bit of both. I think I could say maybe the top three or four ingredients that listeners may want to watch out for in terms of cleaning and making their home beautiful and wonderful. First and foremost is the antibacterial cleaners. These are really big. They're marketed to us. They're made to look, you know, like they're going to be helpful to us. But actually, antibacterial cleaners have no benefit against preventing or protecting against illness. Really? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they do reduce the germ count, but one is there's no protection against illness. And two, the antibacterial agents are actually being associated with superbugs. Have you heard of this concept of superbugs? Right. That Those are the ones that are resistant to, let's say, uh, penicillin and other sorts of antibiotics, right? Correct. That's right. And the main antibacterial agent that's used, or one of the main one, is known as triclosan. That's in all the um, hand sanitizers. It's often in sanitizers that you wash your dishes with or hand soap that you keep at the kitchen counter, maybe after you touch some chicken that right. you use. Yeah. But that ingredient, triclosan, has been linked to um, hormonal disruption, including uh, reducing thyroid gland function. It might change how a woman's over ovaries work, and there might be some association with breast cancer. And that's just the scratching the surface. But there's parts of the world, such as the EU, that's called this ingredient into question. And after some research, it's showing that, you know, it's probably doing more harm than good. That's one. The second one is um, air fresheners, which also a lot of people like to put in their home or maybe even in certain parts of their home, like the garage or the kitchen to get rid of food smells. But air fresheners have also been linked with a few health diseases, including lung issues, migraine headaches, asthma attacks, infant illness and breathing difficulties. And there was a brand new study out in a paper. Well, there was one in 2016, and there's been a few others after that saying, echoing the same issue that's coming up with a lot of these chemicals is the majority of the chemicals that are on our market currently have never actually been tested. And a lot of companies, they don't need to list all the ingredients. So, you know, there's issues with that too, but even, so, so even though we're inhaling, we're inhaling the fumes from these products, because right? if you, if you can smell them, you're taking them in, uh, they have not been tested. That's shocking. Yes. The majority of chemicals actually in our market for commercial use have not been tested from a safety standpoint. Wow. And now that, you know, we're seeing For example, we know I, for one, when I was younger, I had asthma and air fresheners would always bother me. And this one of the study that I'm referring to that I'm thinking of, the researcher, that was her main focus of the article is that over 20% of people when asked said that air fresheners actually bother them and less than 10% of the chemicals in air fresheners have actually been tested. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, like air fresheners, I, I, we just don't use them a lot, like open up a window, you, you know, like, exactly. uh, but the first one, the, the antibacterial, that was an eye opener. Now you said there was a third concern. What, what's that? 
So that would be drain cleaners are also quite bad. A lot of the chemicals in drain cleaners are most likely quite toxic. Again, yes. preliminary studies showing shows that those chemicals used. And if you think about it, what's needed to kind of clean the guck out of a drain probably has to be very aggressive from a chemical standpoint. Well, when you use because- when you use them, you can see. I mean, they they tell you not you're supposed to immediately wash it off if it touches your skin. I, I mean, like there's no question they're toxic, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so those are also from, you know, if you're thinking about the top things to avoid, those would be one to probably keep out away from the house, not use or only use if absolutely necessary. But those cleaners are designed essentially to disintegrate what's typically caught in a drain, which is often hair. Right. Which is a protein. So so that gives you food for that. Yes. Okay. So those are the things we should be removing from our house. So so let's go one by one. Let's start where we left off. With the drain cleaner, maybe you could get away with putting some vinegar down your sink. I mean, that's worked for me sometimes. Uh, yes. what, what would you recommend? I find, you know, it sounds so simple and straightforward, but at Home Depot or Canadian Tire, you can get these little, they're like plastic drain snakes. Oh, the snakes. Yeah. Yeah. They're 99 cents or something. And you literally coil it down and pull it up. It pulls out all the gunk. And that works for me most of the time. Also being proactive. And if you are a female or live with females that have long hair, again, that's the number one thing that gets caught in drains. Putting a little hair a catcher that again you can get at any hardware store for two bucks or something and empty that every so often that's going to save your drains quite a bit right and and the thing with drain it's a maintenance issue right so like you should be doing this snaking work fairly regularly particularly as you said if there's somebody with long hair in your house because if you wait until there's a problem then you know using vinegar or trying the snake may or may not work Exactly. All right. So let's working backwards. Let's talk about air fresheners. Other than opening up a window, what would you recommend to help freshen up the house that isn't toxic? My favorite is essential oils. If you want some sort of smell in the house, the essential oil smells are quite, most people like them. You you might have to, there's a whole variation of what kind of scent you can Uh, get, but not only do most essential oils are not associated with any sort of illness or lung condition, so forth, they actually might have other benefits. So, for example, lemongrass essential oil, we have two big studies showing that when that's diffused into the air using a little oil diffuser, it reduces the mold count significantly. Other essential oils such as tea tree oil or cypress oil, they when diffused into the air, they also reduce bacterial counts and viral counts. Tea tree oil, though, that's an acquired smell, right? Not everybody's going to enjoy that smell. (laughs) Would you agree with me on that? Huh? For sure. I love tea tree oil, but it's not for everyone. It is not for everyone. Try it out before you buy it, I would say, just to make sure it's for you. So if you don't like tea tree oil, eucalyptus, somewhat similar, but that's better. Likewise, uh, lavender essential oil. Lavender is the most studied essential oil, and it's also beneficial to for relaxation and has really good anti-anxiety properties for some people. So, you know, you know, the benefits of essential oils are somewhat far-reaching compared to air fresheners, which there's essentially no benefit and probably some significant downfalls for using them. Right. P- perhaps the only downside of essential oils is they do cost much more than a air freshener, air fresheners. I'm sure I've never bought one, but probably 50 cents or a dollar or something just for the ones you hang in the car. And a good essential oil might cost you somewhere between 10 to $20 for a little bottle. 
Right. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning and talk about what do we do if we get some chicken juice on the counter? If, if we're not using the antibacterial, what would you recommend? So if you are someone that wants to, you know, really sanitize, some of the least toxic uh, sanitization methods would be vinegar. Vinegar is naturally sold in three to five percent for using for food grade. That is still quite good at reducing bacterial counts. But now at most stores, I've picked it up at the superstore multiple times, there's seven percent vinegar. So it's a little bit stronger for cleaning. And also, Um, we find the bacteria sort of, you can smell when your rags or your wipes are are getting too bacterial, so you throw them away, and or you might pop them in the microwave to zap some of the bacteria away. Oh, I've never thought about that, using the microwave. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I soak my rags in vinegar, actually. Same with my towels. When I put them in the wash, I use a green cleaning agent to wash them with, but I also wash them with vinegar. I add vinegar to the wash to help them smell better. Try the Nuke option. We'll call it the positive nuke okay. option. If you go in for like 30 seconds, just it will zap away a lot of the bacteria. That's my little helpful hint. That's all I got. Yeah, fancy. Okay. <laughs> the uh, other thing that's very good at reducing bacterial counts, non-toxic, is hydrogen peroxide. Yes. The food grade, which is 3%, you can also get that at shoppers drug mart any pharmacy so and some people choose to use together or they find that if they're really scrubbing something hydrogen peroxide can really help get a little bit more of a deeper clean especially let's say in the bathroom fantastic advice thank you so much for coming on the show today thanks for having me next month when we meet we're going to discuss how to heal your skin right yes fantastic we've got to take a short break but when we return we'll discuss holiday cookbooks for the home cook on the tonic It's new. It's powerful. It's the next generation. It's Purica Recovery 3.0, a new formulation for inflammation relief and healing that brings together the strength of the original Purica Recovery with the rapid relief of Purica Curcumin 30% BDMC. It's a powerful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and immunity optimizer all in one. It works by repairing the damage and relieving the stress that's at the root cause of pain. It's Purica Recovery 3.0, and it's coming soon from Purica. For more information, visit Purica.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, our next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five years. And since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. So it's that time of year. We're going to get right out in front of it so that people do not miss it and they are not late. It's only November, but we're already focusing on those gifts for the home cooks that we might know, right? That's right, because get them before they're gone. You know, don't be rushing at the end of December looking for books. We're helping you now. Exactly. So on on December 24th, you're not in a store buying somebody a spoon, although that (laughs) may be a perfectly good gift and a stocking stuffer. Buy the spoon now. Exactly. 
But you have some other ideas what might be appropriate for somebody who likes to cook. Yeah, so I have a number of cookbooks to talk about, and and then we've got some other gifts too, other gift suggestions. All right, well, let's let's start with the cookbooks. Where where are we going first? All right, so can't go wrong with celebrity chefs, especially if you're a fan of the Food Network or you follow them on YouTube, Instagram, whatever. You know, like if if you're not sure what to do, a celebrity cookbook is going to be a good one. Jamie Oliver, who many people know because he's really kind of a worldwide worldwide celebrity now, is coming out with a veg cookbook, Ultimate Veg. It's vegetarian, but he really is marketing this as book for everyone, you know, not just vegetarians. The recipes are vegetarian, but it's for vegetarians and not. And it really goes all, runs the gamut, so comfort food and healthy food. When, when you say it's not necessarily for vegetarians, but it's a vegetarian cookbook. What is that like what does that He's mean? He's marketing towards people who like to eat vegetarian sometimes. You might be vegetarian all the time. Right. Or you might just want to eat a vegetarian meal and you should buy this book. Because even people who are not vegetarians don't eat meat three times a day most of the time, right? His um, his cookbooks, because we we use them at home, are, tend to be well thought out, and the recipes are you know they're not necessarily the easiest ones. But uh, if you make what he suggests you make uh, and what they go together with, you really can't go wrong. Yeah, they're they're global, they're accessible. I was watching a YouTube video. He was making these um, potatoes, Indian inspired potato fritters and with a mint yogurt and he had this uh, chutney that he mixed with cranberries and he made it seem really easy but you could tell that it would taste very good mm-hmm. and um, crispy mushroom shawarma like there's a number of different things in the book uh, from all over the world and they all they sound good you know like it would be an easy book to like okay what's next no Anthony if you're a fan uh, of Anthony Anthony yeah now I have to tell you I didn't I wasn't super excited about this book, but I do like Queer Eye, and he has a lot of fans. And right. so. Um, and he's Canadian. And he's Canadian. Um, I didn't think there was anything that different about the book, um, the recipes, but the recipes are accessible. He likes cheese, as he always jokes about on the show. He, yeah. you know, He's a big fan of cheese, and he's got a recipe for turkey meatloaf with a block of sharp cheddar. Like His 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 recipes have a lot of cheese in them. So I, cheese forward. Cheese forward. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's good. I, and we're talking about Anthony Porowski, a, yes. a queer eye for a straight guy, and, or what is it it's called? It's just now? called Queer Eye Now. Yeah. Uh, and when he's on the show, he really kind of makes very simple things. I think the people that he's trying to help aren't necessarily cooks at all. So, right. so his, you know, if you know somebody who's interested in cooking but perhaps doesn't have a ton of experience, this book might be right for them, I think. Yeah. So I'm just putting it out there. You'll yeah. see it. I, I looked at it. Um, there's some interesting things. But it's not something I would buy, but I could see that uh, other people would like it. Okay. So, uh, if we're not into celebrity cookbooks, what else might be an appropriate gift? So, a classic, not celebrity, but classic, there's a new edition of The Joy of Cooking that's coming oh, out this okay. month. So, it, you know, it's not out yet, but it's uh, the 2019 edition. So, again, if you're looking, you know, not sure what to buy, somebody who's just, you know, needs an everything book, try The Joy of Cooking because it's got all your basics, classics, but it also has new recipes too. So, like kimchi mac and cheese, apparently, and stuff like that. So, so. You're gonna. It, it's an encyclopedia cookbook. Can't right. go wrong with that. Meaning, it's going to have a lot of procedural, a lot of basics that you can build upon. Uh, so, if you didn't want to have a whole library of cookbooks, this would be a good place to start. It would, yeah. 
Okay, what's next? Another one, a vegetarian book, which was interesting, called Umami Bomb. And I like umami flavors. I think it's, an, it's one of those important sort of, uh, senses right. that, that's been highlighted lately. Call it a woman, Raquel Pelzel. She's written other cookbooks. And this is focused on sources of umami in vegetarian cookbooks. So Parmesan cheese, soy sauce, miso, caramelized onions, roasted tomatoes, mushrooms, those each chapter is focused on a different one of these sources of umami. So, for those who don't know, umami is classically it's defined as is the flavoring. It's not quite salt. It's like it's, meat. It's like meat. It's it's a depth of flavor. And so, when you're it, this is helpful because it's a vegetarian cookbook, mm-hmm. which means you're getting that meaty depth from ingredients that don't include meat. Right. And so she's suggesting to even use them in sweet, like put a soy sauce in your. Chocolate frosting doesn't taste like soy sauce, but it adds that depth of flavor. Miso, butterscotch, but also, of course, um, not savory dishes, too. But I thought it was an interesting take on vegetarian cuisine because I think it's something that vegetarian cooks do when they're trying to add flavor, but this would help you if you're trying to make your dishes really flavorful. And also, if you're a vegetarian and you're cooking for non-vegetarians, I think adding that umami would probably encourage somebody to, to eat more vegetables. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, beyond sort of the basics and umami, what's what what else is on your list? So there are a few interesting ethnic, I don't even know if ethnic is the right word, but um, focused on certain regions or cuisines, uh, cookbooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, Judy Ju's Korean soul food. I really like this. It was very accessible. I mean, I like to eat Korean food. I haven't cooked a lot of it. And this one, I've looked at some when they all seem too complicated for me, you know, I don't have all the ingredients, um, but this one was accessible. And so a lot of dumplings, like chicken with ginger, uh, dumplings, shiitake mushrooms, shrimp and broccoli dumplings, uh, pan- you know, pancakes, the Korean pancakes, bibimbap, all the things that I like to I eat. I love bibimbap. Yeah. You can find in this cookbook. It doesn't look too hard. So. Really? Even bibimbap with the stone bowls? It has a recipe for that? Yeah. So that was that was one Judy Ju's Korean soul food. I thought I liked that one. And then there's a then there's three that um, are more of um, they're, they're recipes, uh, but they're also interesting little history geography lesson. Um, there's the Jewish cookbook by Leah Koenig, and she has written um, books before. And this is you know it's a big it's an encyclopedia book of Jewish cooking, and wherever the Jews are, they cook. And well, let's so, face it, we're everywhere. They're so, everywhere, yeah. So yeah. you know, there's food from all over the world. Yeah, exactly. There's the food of the Italian South, which I talked about last month, and um, that's talking about the southern Italian cooking in the regions and there's a lot of discussion about the regions and pictures like it's fun to to learn about that yeah some of these books that sort of delve beyond the recipe uh, can function beyond being a recipe book right yeah. like you, you could put them out as a reference book or you could even them some of them are so beautifully shot now like a little bit of food porn if you even wanted to put them out as a coffee table book uh, you know some of them are beautiful enough that you could do it yeah absolutely there's another one called Jubilee recipes from two centuries of African-American cooking which which is another encyclopedia book, uh, a history of, again, as African-Americans sort of moved around and developed their cooking. And so it's uh, it's also an interesting book if you're interested in that history and um, and the food and the flavors and the way they developed. So those are, those are some that I would uh, recommend on that end. Okay. So uh, let's say, for example, uh, you weren't sure what cookbooks the person you're buying for what they had or what they didn't have, and and you wanted to get them something because they cook, but you don't necessarily want to get them a cookbook. Are there ideas you have there? 
Yeah, lots of ideas. So alcohol, assuming that somebody drinks, if they don't drink, then ignore everything. But people entertain, whether they drink themselves. You know, you want to have a bar for your guests. Sure. There's a lot of alcohol-related things that are fun and not too expensive. Uh, There's a store downtown called BYOB, and they have a lot of these, a lot of these little things like bitters, you know, syrups. Like you could get if they like to have gin and tonic. Um, Getting getting real artisanal tonic water. Yep. Uh, little glasses. You can get glasses. You can get specialized glasses. They like, you know, if somebody likes to drink a Moscow Mule, get some of the copper cups. Right. And, you know, that's... Or similarly, if they drink scotch, you know, you want to have a proper scotch glass. Yeah. And, and they're very helpful there. And the price points are are interesting because you don't have to break your wallet to get yeah. some of these gifts. Yeah. A lot of classic looking things. Muddlers. So there's that whole... That whole idea. There's also things like mortar and pestle, which uh, is apparently I should have. I don't have. You mean uh, as a cooking a small, implement? Yeah, as a, I would like that as a gift. Not a huge one, but a small one. I to, suppose they're kind of arty, right? You can leave yeah. them out. People make guacamole with them too, even, right? Exactly. A little scale. I got a scale. I always thought of scales as being big things, but this one is small. It looks like it's the size of an iPad. It can tuck away, and I use it in my baking. It's yeah, very for, helpful. Particularly if you're using cookbooks from Europe where they weigh everything, right? To have mm-hmm. a scale handy uh, actually means more precise baking. Yep. Microplane for grating, um, for zesting citrus and grating chocolate. And, and garlic, garlic and, ginger. and ginger. Yeah, great gift. And they come with colorful handles. So if you know their color palette, you can get one that matches their kitchen. That's right. And you can get a silicone spatula in the same color too. You know, color theme, lots of good things. Speaking of spatulas, uh, you can get a spatula with the person's initial on them from uh, William Sonoma. I like the Bodum double wall cups. We that, all like the yes, Bodum double very, wall cups. They're very cute looking. They don't get too hot. They're modern. They're not too expensive. You get a pack of four. I can get them off Amazon or a number and of And they go in the dishwasher. Yeah. And the last thing I might suggest is an iPad holder or a book holder so that if they... If they're using a cookbook, it holds it open. Or if you're using an iPad, you you put it on the you put it on the holder, and it doesn't um, it doesn't black out. So you can you don't lose your recipe in the middle of your cooking um, while your hands are dirty. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. You're going to come back next month. You're going to come back December, and we're going to discuss all sorts of cookbooky things. Yes, entertaining. I think. Well, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. We've got to take a short break. We'll be right back on the tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sagrati. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She specializes in training yoga teachers, and she is the co-founder of Evolve Retreat, a phenomenal opportunity for women to celebrate and grow together in Costa Rica. How are you? I'm awesome, Jamie. How are you doing? Good. I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, excellent. So, Let's resolve it. Yes. Let's resolve it. Before we get to this conflict, which is really a conflict, I'm, I'm waiting for Evolve 2, which is for men. Oh, okay. yeah. It's coming. It's is coming. It? Yes, it is. It is. We realize now with the, with the amount of attention it's getting that we've got to do it. Okay. But we're joking around, but there really is a mindful approach to conflict, right? Yeah, absolutely. There is, of course. So let's talk about... The intersection of mindfulness and conflict conflict resolution. How does that come about? Where are we? Yeah, so I think you have to, I really like to look at the definitions of words. And, you know, so if you think about the definition of mindfulness, by definition, it's the act of paying attention on purpose to the present moment and really approaching that experience with openness, so non-judgmentally and with a really curious attitude. And then if you look at conflict, right, conflict is a struggle or opposition or an incompatibility between two people or two parties or two nations, for example. And then a resolution is a firm decision to do or to not to do something. And so if you put all of these definitions together, the intersection really lies at the crossroads where mindfulness decreases reactivity so much that it allows our brains to function in a more cooperative fashion so that we're able to think clearly and act instead of react. Right. And, and if you're going to use it as like a ninja tool, it's almost like if you can, because that's the way my mind works. Like, like if, you, if you're in a negotiation or if you're in a conflict yeah. and you want to resolve it and you want to resolve it to your benefit and, and you know, yeah. we, we can talk about mutual benefit. I know that's an aspect of it, but all, yeah. honestly, if there's one thing I've learned is 20 years as a lawyer and, yeah. and, and then just sort of living my life beyond it. If you keep your powder dry, you can resolve things much easier than if you get emotional. And it's just a fact. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a fact. And, and this really has to do with the brain, right? Yeah. So, you know, in, in the center of your brain, you've got, uh, on both sides, you've got something called the amygdala. And it's really responsible for fear and anger, but it's also the, the part of the brain that drives you to act, right? And it, so... Yeah, it's your animal brain. It's, it's, it's the core brain. Yep. Yeah, it's your animal brain. So it's constantly tracking everything that's happening around you and trying to decide, like, what is the level of threat, Okay. Mm-hmm. And then this other part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is the home of like your rational self, your logic, your reasoning, and your ability to think before you act. And you know what happens is when you get triggered or you're emotionally reactive, so if you're fearful or you're angry, the amygdala basically hijacks you. So it goes around or overrides the prefrontal cortex, right? And it perceives everything in your environment as a potential threat. And and it acts out of survival. So it's not acting from a place of, you know, getting the best result or keeping things calm or finding a win-win solution. It's like it's trying to save your life. Mm-hmm. Right? And so with mindfulness, like what happens with mindfulness is that with enough practice over time, and this is really the key, and I, you know, I try to hammer this in during every interview that we do, with enough practice, it calms us down enough so that we can be present and we can be rational so that the amygdala actually doesn't hijack us. 
Yes. Because an emotionally clouded response to any criteria is not going to be accurate. I mean, you you, never accurate. It's like a lottery. I mean, maybe you'll hit upon the right answer, but it's not because of process. (laughs) It's it'll be more of a fluke that you're right. Yeah, yeah, it'll be totally by chance. It'll be totally by chance. And you know the the other crazy thing about the amygdala, right? Is when we're so say say we're in a situation and it's a conflict and we're triggered. The amygdala is sorting through memories in the past and trying to find something that's sort of similar, right? right. Mm-hmm. And you really have to cue on that it's something that's kind of similar or vaguely similar. So it will attach onto something that kind of looks like the situation in front of you, and it will then make you behave based on that previous thing that happened in your life, right? So say you see someone who looks like the person that you're... Uh, wife or boyfriend cheated on you with, right? Okay, and they look vaguely like that person, your amygdala will sort through those memories and think, oh, they look like that person, and you will have an emotional reaction to that person based on that historical event, right? And it's just, it could be the vaguest thing, but it will attach onto it. Which is different than the process of your, your sort of, your logical brain looking for patterns, Right? Like Absolutely. The, like these, these patterns, these connections aren't necessarily real. So No. Well, often they're not real. Right. Often, most often they're not real because this is about survival, right? Yeah. It's the whole false negative thing, right? So it's safer for you to walk through a forest and perceive a snake and then go around something that's a branch, right? Yes. Because on the off chance that it is a snake, you're going to be safe. Does yep. that make sense? No, it makes total sense. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's why we're set up that way, because we're, we're set up to survive in the savanna environment, right? But it's, you know, it's also helpful to recognize it, because I think some people use discord and chaos to create advantage in confrontation, right? Like, in other words, you, you create a groundswell that is so unnatural, so d- uh, unnerving, you can actually get your opponent, I suppose, if you look at it that way, to slip up or make a bad decision based on their fears that you are sort of cultivating, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can do that. Or it's just, to me, when I, when I think about what you're saying, I think people go into the fight or flight response. And if one person is innately uh, goes towards fight, right, if that's their way of surviving the stress response, um, and they encounter somebody else who goes into flight, right, it makes the person who's in fight win. True. Yeah. Okay, so where do you want to go from here? Do you want to discuss uh, what neuroscience tells us a little bit more about that, or do you want to talk about how mindfulness might be able to help us with these conflicts? I think I, let's talk about how mindfulness can help us. Okay. So there's this practice called RAIN, and it was developed by this woman named Michelle McDonald. And if we kind of go through this practice regularly, it'll really help to calm your nervous system, either before you go into a, a difficult conversation or when you're in the middle of conflict. And so the first aspect of RAIN is to recognize. And that means to recognize the feelings and emotion associated with the experience you're having, especially uncomfortable ones, right? So mm-hmm. if you're in the middle of a conflict and you're feeling insecure or you're feeling fearful, it's first to recognize, oh, okay, well, I'm feeling insecure and my f- sense of self feels like it's threatened or I feel really afraid that I'm going to lose this relationship or I'm going to lose this job or I'm going to lose status. Whatever it is, we have to recognize and name it inside of ourselves so that we can see it clearly. Otherwise, without doing that, we will behaviorally act it out. 
mm-hmm. because there's a certain amount of pressure. If you think about those old-fashioned kettles on the stove, right, that have the, the, little, the little lid that goes up and whistles, yep. right? So a certain amount of pressure builds until the top blows open. Feelings are, are the same, right? There's, there's a pressure and energy of those feelings. And if we, if we name them and be present to them, they'll, they'll pass. Uh, but if we don't, if we're not aware of them, then we'll end up exploding or behaviorally acting them out, just like the kettle on the stove. So we have to first recognize we have to become more emotionally intelligent. And that's a skill that can be learned. Yes, I believe that's true. Right. And the second is to allow ourselves to be with the experience and accept it as it is. And, you know, one of the most common things I say to my clients, Janie, is relax your resistance to the present moment. Okay. Does that mean take yourself out of the moment, sort of float above it and, and, and just sort of compose yourself or is that something else? I really like where you went with that. So it means for you to, you are kind of taking yourself out of the moment to give yourself a stern talking to and, yeah. and to say, you know, really relax your resistance to what is. And then you're allowing yourself to go into the moment and experience things as they are. And when you're in that moment, what do you do next? So the next is to really investigate. And that's about looking at, and you investigate during the moment and you investigate afterwards in the reflection process, right? So really figure out the feeling tone of the experience, right? It might be positive, negative, or neutral. And then ask some questions like, what event is triggering this? Why is it triggering for me? Right? Like what's underneath the thing that I'm feeling right now? Because often what's underneath the thing that you're feeling is fear, right? Or insecurity or, you know, disintegration of our identities, right? If we feel like our identity is threatened. Right. On an existential level, right? Um, not, not physical, but like our, our ego selves. Yep. Yeah, it's our ego selves, right? And th- I think the most important thing is to ask yourself, what story am I telling myself about these feelings? Because there's the feelings, right? We have all kinds of feelings, but then there's the story that we tell ourselves about those feelings. And what's the last part? The last part is to really go into a place of non-identification, right? So to really recognize that you are not the feelings that you're having. The story you're telling yourself isn't necessarily true. In fact, it's often not true, right? And then finally, you need to have a plan for approaching the whole conflict and resolving it because we've got to come to a place of resolution, right? And that involves really setting clear intentions, calming yourself down through any kind of practice before you engage in the conflict or the tough conversation. Figure out what you want to communicate and stay open and objective about the other person's experience and then really discuss things at the appropriate time. You know, so often we try to resolve things on the fly and that almost never works. Yep. And then find a win-win solution, which means both of you are going to walk away a little happy, a little unhappy. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Such a pleasure, Jamie. You're going to come back next month, right? I can't wait. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles by Emily Lipinski and Naomi Bussing, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. 
If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on the show when we'll discuss a safe and natural solution for the most commonly prescribed medications, dignity and safety while aging, breaking the cycle of pain, and cooking with salt. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.